unzip the dude's bag to get it. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So, That's- yeah. I'd safe to say he's probably not going to be at this year's Super Bowl, but who knows, I guess. <laughs> Could you imagine credentialed <laughs> for Super Bowl uh, 51? You know what it'll be? It'll be it'll be like uh, Jimmy Kimmel or someone that'll send him down. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll be interviewing in that first like gong show day when they're all like where the puppets are talking and everything, the first media availability. Uh, it'll be him like, so, that's so well, how do you like having your jerseys back? <laughs> that's so funny. Well, so now he's going to do some charity thing with him or something, I bet you, so. Get some more good PR for old Tommy boy, TB12. <laughs> yeah, that's just, I just think that's such an amazing sports story. It's just yeah. so amazing. Oh, it blends all these great elements together. Crime, sports, the biggest Super Bowl, the biggest star. I mean, it's like straight out of a freaking movie, man. Like, that is a freaking movie. Anyways, besides the point, let's get into what the people are here to listen to, Mitch. The mixed martial arts talk. You are listening to The Hurt Take, a show about mixed martial arts from a couple of fans to the fans. Mitch, uh, so second fight night in a row, international fight night, this one in London. You know, we were kind of ragging on it a little bit last week, I think. Probably not giving it that much, you know, that much credit. We thought it was, there was some interesting stuff on the card for sure a lot to talk about but at the same time we were underwhelmed by the by the headlining fight well turns out the headlining fight ended in a walk-off knockout which are always spectacular to see jimmy manawa britain's own clipped Corey anderson with a left hook as he's backing out along the cage and that was it he walked away fight done man i gotta say we kind of we talked about how Jimmy Manuel had knockout power and he's this he's exactly the kind of guy you want in a really underwhelming headliner card because he could knock someone out or just spend the whole fight getting beaten up. And it turned out to be the former. What did you think of his performance or Corey Anderson's lack of a performance? Well, I don't know. Um, I, di- I didn't get a chance to see the fight live, but I you know I'll admit it that I did go back and watch it and I thought the uh, Corey Anderson's probably, you know, maybe winning the fight at that point. He was he was attempting takedowns. He was putting up some offense. He seemed to be being more active. And then, yeah, as you say, he's kind of back circling away, gets touched with a pr- fairly innocent looking shot. I mean, it was it was clean, but it didn't didn't look like it had knock knock his head off power or anything. And down he goes. So, what do you say, um, Manu on his left hand? I guess so. Uh, stay away from that, and you should be okay if you're his opponent. <laughs> yeah, that's that left hook uh, is a dangerous weapon for someone who's proficient with it. It's it's one of the punches that catches a lot of fighters, boxing especially. But it's a sneaky punch because it can it can kind of uncork really quickly, and you know most fighters are right-handed, so guys are tending to move away from the right hand right towards the left hook, which you know. Like you said, it doesn't take a big, a big punch. It just has to take a nice clean shot because you're moving right into it. Your force, the force of the punch, boom, and knock, knocks dudes out. So, I mean, yeah, it that, was this one. This one, he looked a little off balance. He was kind of scrambling a little bit. Like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the term running away, but he was definitely backpedaling with some authority. Well, he's moving um, towards so, the punch though, which is sometimes all you oh, need. Oh yeah. Right? So yeah. 
I just mean it was kind of looping. He kind of came. It was a little like he was almost chasing him a little bit. So it wasn't wasn't like he ran into a wall of a power shot. It didn't seem like, but hit the right spot and the lights went out. It's like Joe so. Lucan likes to always say, right on the button. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. Good, good Joe Rogan impression? Uh, no, no. Pretty high pitch, but I think just about anybody you impersonate is going to have a high pitch tone to it, right? So. It hurts my feelings, Mitch. Just a little bit. <laughs> Even though it's true. Yeah. So what do you think? The the fight ends. He starts calling people out. He's, you know, he wants, he's saying he wants the winner of, of Johnson and Cormier. I'm I'm looking at his record today. He's won two fights in a row over Corey Anderson and Owen St. Pru. And now is, you know, and before that lost to Rumble. And now he's looking, you know, he's starting calling out. He wants the winner of the championship fight. He doesn't want to fight John Jones. What do you make of all this craziness? Well, what I make of it is the fact that Jimmy Manoa could be calling out any champion is mind is a mind-boggling thing. It, it's just the state of affairs at light heavyweight, more than anything, is the story here. It's not even to me. It's not even Jimmy Manoa. Jimmy Manoa is just a man who realizes an opportunity when it's in front of him. And the opportunity is, who else is there but me, Jimmy Manoa? So, I mean, yeah... Uh, <laughs> At the end of the day, he's jumping on the opportunity. He's got he's got the big stage, um, so why not call out the champ? You're as good a contender as anybody at this point. Even though you know, I think we can both agree that he would be in tough against either one of those guys. I would say you know he now he's already fought Gustafson, right? Just rejog my memory. He's already lost to Gustafson. Yeah, Gus KO'd him. Uh, Rumble KO'd him. Right. So, so both I mean, in stoppages too. And then now he's had two straight knockouts and he's trying to climb back up that ladder and call out Johnson again, which is, I mean, whatever, we'll see what happens in that fight either way. But, uh, you know, something like Gustafson rematch, maybe I could possibly see them yeah. coming off fight with Glover, something like that. Um, I don't know how anyone turns down a fight with John Jones in that position. I, I think it was insane for him to be talking to him. He doesn't think Jones deserves to be in the ring with him. Yeah, good luck fighting on these, you know, getting your 20 and 20 on the next fight then because that was your payday. <laughs> but true. I don't know. doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but this is the world we live in now. You get a flashy knockout and he's at a couple in a row, a couple of highlights, and that's all anyone can remember. And right. I just, quite frankly, was almost all I could remember. I started looking back and I was like, oh, right. So he's lost to, you know, arguably two, the, the two top contenders right now and He's never fought Cormier or Jones. So what what do we get to measure against? A bunch of guys who aren't even in the discussion that he's beaten. So Yeah. Like I said, it's the state of affairs at light heavyweight. I mean, there's there's really yeah. he he he's a guy who it's like he's ascending towards a possible title shot. And during that ascension, he lost to two guys who are basically in the title picture right now. So like you know, he doesn't really have anyone that he could go up against right now beat and assert himself as a legitimate contender, unless, like you said, it's the winner. Well, not even the winner of Gustafson, Teixeira, because, I mean, really, what's Teixeira going to do? He's He hasn't looked back that great lately, admittedly. But we're going to come back to Jimmy Manoa later in the show. we got a bigger topic centered around Jimmy Manoa, because in addition to Rumble and Cormier, he called out another man. And that's a big topic that we're going to touch on later, so... Stay tuned, people. Stay tuned. Also on UFC London, though, my boy, Gunnar Nelson. <laughs> he took it home, Mitch. He took it home. You were making fun of me. 
for wanting to pick Gunner as my topic last week. And he showed you why, Mitch. He showed you why. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens, I suppose. Every now and again. He did take a whole year off, so I don't know that anyone really knew what was going to be what we were going to get out of him. But that was a pretty good, pretty darn good win. Showed some, showed some good striking and did it with the six submissions. So I don't know. What do you think? This is your boy. Well, Gunnar Nelson is one of those guys. Like, I was on the Wonder Boy train. Hit this first UFC fight where he had that hook kick knockout. It was just beautiful. Mint knockout. And as soon as I saw him fighting, I was like, this guy's completely different than everybody else. I don't care if he loses half his fights in the UFC. I will always watch this guy fight. Gunnar Nelson is that kind of person. Now, granted, a lot of people might think he's kind of boring because he's not much of a personality and he's more of a grappler. But he's so dynamic to watch, you know, because he can he does that karate bladed stance. He can he can bounce in and out. He catches guys coming in with counters, whereas he can also explode forward and catch guys. He's got great kicks. And then once he gets you to the mat, I mean, it's a whole different world. He's such a great grappler. So despite the fact that, you know, I think that some of his his poor performances have been really underwhelming performances and the kind of performances where you you really question whether he can hang with the top guys, such as his loss to Rick Story, Gunnar Nelson's still my boy. He's still one of those guys. I want to see him always fight up a level, you know. And so as part of that, his coach, John Kavanaugh, tweeted... Maybe it's time to see who the real Karate Kid is, Mitch. He's calling out <laughs> Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. What do you think about that? I think that's awesome. Hashtag would watch. But I don't know, Mitch. You're not a big fan of uh, either guy. So, you know, <laughs> what does someone like you think? Hashtag would watch. Wow. Um, I don't know. I, was, I thought it was interesting when you brought up Wonderboy. I was gonna. I was actually going to mention that myself, that they're calling for this karate kids standoff to come down now so um i don't know can we handle another woodley thompson is it going to be a fight like that are we going to have to sit through i guess this one will probably only be three rounds at least you don't have to sit through five of that but at least um, one full round of both of them in crane kick pose waiting for the other to make a move that's what's going to happen yeah i see yeah that's i mean it does kind of have that feel you'd think it would be something like that but at the same time with wonder boy losing two in a row like that it's probably a good matchup that way for him it would be a good it's a good name and a good challenge but you know he's not going to get the the upper echelon top of the top probably um so i mean it, it probably makes sense the timing seems to be right but um yeah i don't really know i mean it seems like it could almost be identical to that fight it seems like um in terms of Gunner being a little bit more grapple, you know, grapple heavy and that type of thing. How does it actually play out? But Thompson's on, you know, always does good and not being taken down. So where does that go? But yeah, I, it seemed like a pretty good call out to me. I thought that was kind of a smart pick and I think uh, they'll probably get their fight. Yeah, let's hope so. I really think <laughs> that's one of those ones to me where, you know, it's the UFC is very smart about how they match make. Sometimes their matchmaking is purely about, okay, these two, who, these two guys are both ascending. Let's see who's better and move that guy to the next challenge. Sometimes it's about, is this a fight that we can really promote? And sometimes it's about these two guys are just going to put on a good show. And Gunnar Nelson and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, to me, is on paper not necessarily a fight where it'd be like, yeah, I can see how this will be an exciting fight. It's that promotionally, you can push this, like the, the real Karate Kid stuff. That's perfect. You can promote the hell out of this fight. 
they look they look the same the way they stand in the cage. All of a sudden, you're promoting this as the first true karate um, stylist versus karate stylist in M- in UFC history since like the early UFC shows. You know, so I think promotionally, it's a great idea. I I, I would be all in on that for sure. And I think stylistically, it would also be a great show. Um, I think Nelson is a bit different with how he uses his skills as Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, like, that Woodley fight did not do him justice. He's generally a lot more aggressive than that. So I feel like this it would be a really competitive fight, and there would be some good action. So, yeah, I would definitely be all in on that. Yeah, and especially to fill out, like, you, you got to think it's not going to be a main event or probably even a co-main with where they're both at. Um, so to fill out a card, I can't, you know, if that's the third or fourth fight down on a card, that'd be pretty darn amazing. So mm-hmm. definitely, yes, sir. Definitely be watching. So the one I was the most excited for on the whole card, um, the hometown hero comes home for his retirement fight. Didn't quite go to plan. What did you make of all this there? Reesey boy, Mitch, I just, I felt your heart breaking. I mean, we were hanging out on Saturday night and I could, you were a different person to me like when i showed up and i was like oh my boy mitch he's in town there's just like something was hanging on your soul and i think that i think that (laughs) you knew you knew deep inside that brad pickett somewhere had just been knocked out with just over a minute left in a fight that he was winning in his hometown in his retirement fight oh it was tragic it i felt so bad i was saying on the show last week that there's very few scenarios to me in which this that fight could end um, in a way that was not in, – in a way that, w- that didn't have some silver lining, some good feeling to it. Like even if he lost the fight but it was competitive or – you know, I, it would have felt better. But to lose in heartbreaking fashion, like that, that's like that's like the Atlanta Falcons losing to the New England Patriots except that Matt Ryan – flip their roles and Tom Brady is in Matt Ryan's shoes and he's like, yeah, I'm retiring. I'm 40. I'm retiring now in my last game and they blow it. Oh, it was so, I was so heartbroken. Like I actually, I felt really bad for Brad Pickett because by all accounts, he's a good guy and that's just not the way you want to go out. I mean, you go out on your shield is one thing, but that, that was sad. That was sad. Yeah, it definitely was. The uh, post-fight speech was a little difficult. I, you know, if you haven't seen it, you should Google it because it's definitely interesting. Um, just to have to to come from that state, I don't think anyone could ever imagine. And there's always this debate: Do you put these guys on the mic when they've just been flatlined like that? And now, who knows what's going to come out of their mouth and that kind of stuff. So to see that emotion from him, and I, can't, I just couldn't imagine. And I actually found out after the fight that you know he's literally born in London. I knew he fought out of there. Uh, but I thought it was more of a, you know, kind of marketing. Anytime they go to the UK, they kind of, they're all from the UK type of thing. But he's literally, that's his hometown. That's probably the most friends and families ever fought in front of. Yeah. Uh, and then to have it go like that, and you must, you know, I, I can't even imagine, obviously. But you wake back up from that, and now you've got to jump on the mic and, and say your goodbyes and thank the fans. And, um, and he still did a pretty amazing job, to be honest. It was a great little spiel, so. Um, hats off to him for that and uh, hopefully things go a little bit better for him over the next little while because that uh, can be an easy way to go out for sure yeah and and uh, you know no pun intended uh, brad pickett with the hat hats off to marlon vera i think he handled it with class too he was um 
none. He did not seem pleased that he had had to usher Brad Pickett into retirement, so to speak, at the at the post fight press conference. So good for him for, um, you know, taking the high road. You know, that can't be easy to to send a guy off like that. You know, because every fighter knows their time will come too, and. So good for him. I, I at least got to give a shout-out to Vera for the win and um, for handling it the way he did. So good for him. But past UFC Fight Night London, pretty pretty good good night of, uh, of fights, got to say. But on to bigger and better things. What else is happening in the news right now? We've got Jacare Souza <laughs> dropping hints that... He may be a little bit closer to retirement than people might give him credit for. Kind of an interesting thing, coming out and saying that if he doesn't get a title shot soon, he wouldn't be, essentially wouldn't be opposed to retiring. That he doesn't, that he doesn't do it for the money, that he doesn't do it for all this stuff. He does it for the belt. And if he doesn't get that belt, he doesn't feel that he needs to stick around. What do you think of that, Mitch? That's kind of a big, loaded thing to say, but... Where there's smoke, there fire, or is he just posturing? What? Well, I think, I think there's definitely some truth to it. I mean, when you really look at it, you start grilling into his comments a little bit, and he starts making comparisons to teaching jiu-jitsu, making him more money than fighting has ever made him, um, and talking about teaching classes and having students and doing that kind of thing, and, and the fact that he can make more money without putting his health on the line. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to hear. And I think something that's just the reality of the sport of MMA, these guys aren't making, uh, you know, NFL major league baseball type money. They, you know, if they're not getting matchups, they like, and they're not in situations, you know, he's not a super young man. I think he's 37, something like that. Um, I, I totally think I could see it. Why, why not really? It's, he's kind of been there, done that. He's been around for a really long time. So, um, yeah, it's kind of sad. Uh, let me ask you this though: Does he should he even be in title contention discussions? Is he is he a guy you think deserves this shot? Has he been wrong? Has it been too long for him? Because that's that's what I found myself wondering: is you know is is would he even be the guy whether Bisbing was fighting GSP or not? I don't even think he's the next in line anyway. So I don't really understand the comment all that much. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think he's just kind of getting frustrated with the opponents he's getting, having you know Vitor, then Tim Bosch, and now. Uh, Robert Whitaker maybe not being the names that he's thrown out there, but the circumstances are what they are. Rockhold's injured. Romero's waiting for his title. Their kind of things are all wrapped up. I, I could see this actually happening before all the logjam at the top there uh, works itself out. How about you? Yeah, I, I, I think that Jacare is a victim of the circumstance at middleweight more than any other fighter. Maybe, maybe uh, more than any other fighter. Um, outside of say like lightweight division, whereas a few you know a couple a few guys really who are sort of in limbo because of the status of their champion for a variety of reasons. And I think Jacare is the the biggest victim of all of that. It, it's kind of funny to me that at the end of the day he's a victim of this because Michael Bisbing won the belt when nobody feels Michael Bisbing is like a, a, a champion. Um, everyone feels like Michael Bisbing would lose to any other one of these contenders, Jacare included. So it's interesting. I think he's definitely should have his name in the hat. I think he's, he's, it's just unfortunate for him because he's behind Yo Romero, who he is the one guy that he's lost to in the UFC. If it wasn't Yoel, if it was, if it was, you know, even Chris Weidman, if it had been Chris Weidman, who was the guy who had, who had toppled him, um, 
he'd be in a better position considering what Weidman's done lately. But Romero's in the spot where Jacare, I think, would be had he not lost to Romero, which is, you know, that's how the sport goes, obviously. But he's 7-1 and one in the UFC. And he's done, and he's, every one of his wins virtually has been uh, a fantastic performance. He's finishing guys in spectacular fashion. His his grappling style is world-class. You know, I just, it's it's tough. I feel bad for him. I really do. A former champion in strike force. You know, his record in the UFC, like I said, is great. It's just it feels like he is the first car to get to an intersection where there has just been a car crash. You know what I mean? Like, he's the first guy in line that just has to sit there and wait. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Must be tough, too, because, I mean, that was a pretty narrow split decision against Romero, too, so that's kind of where he's sitting at, I, you know, I did take a bit of issue. I'm looking at a bunch of these UFC fighters. You got Chris Carmuzzi, you've got, you know, Gegard Musasi, which is great, but Komozi twice in that time of the seven fights. Um, Yushino Kami, you know, there's not a ton of names there. So it is interesting that he's lost to Romero and that he's tech, he's lost to Rockhold and Strikeforce. Um, so it does seem like he's kind of on that hump because of those two losses to me. Like, it feels like he would probably have to rematch one of those guys before he got a title anyways. Um, so I could see him being a little frustrated getting, like I say, Vitor and Bosch and these types of names that are, you know, probably not moving him any closer. So it's, it's gotta be kind of a frustrating spot. I think for anyone at the top of that division, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you are right about the caliber of opponent, but at the same time, Rockhold, you know, Rockhold dominated Bosch too on on his way to the title, and that didn't hamper him. Um, as well as that, uh, Gegard Mousasi is considered at this point, a, you know, a top five middleweight, and he's he's probably, I should say, like one C in line behind Romero Jacare for a, for a title shot. So at the end of the day, he's he has, I think, established enough of a resume. And and here's the thing is we talk about in the UFC guys who have great records, you know, guys and ladies who have great records. Seven and one. I mean, that's sterling. You know, everyone thinks that that uh, Tony Ferguson is is well, well on his way to a title shot. Maybe should have had a title shot a couple fights ago because he's won so many fights at this point. So I it's it's circumstance and it's the worst. It's the worst for him. Circumstance at the end of the day is, is everything. It's timing and circumstance. You know, your timing has got to be right. And the situation has to be right. And it seems that for Jacare, neither one has gone his way. So shitty, but it's the reality of the situation. I don't see him retiring. I sure hope he doesn't retire because I think, you know, there's still some pretty good fights out there for him. Uh, you know, but if he says he can make more as a teacher, then shoot. <laughs> Why not? Why not? All right. If you're listening, you probably love the content that we're putting out, right? Just a guess. Okay. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you get pissed off at a few things we say, but you're listening. So here's the deal. We need your help. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the show, not the public podcasts. Review us, rate us, every little bit helps. Check our website out, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. Clicks are huge for us too. Make sure you visit, make sure you listen, and make sure you give us a little bit of love. Now, I'll take you back to the show.
Uh, speaking of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu talents, we've got one who's not in the UFC. This is the first time we haven't talked about a, a UFC story. I, I think I'm, I'm just realizing. Um, but a couple weeks ago, big story in MMA was Mackenzie Dern. She is a mixed martial arts fighter uh, in Legacy Fighting Alliance. She fights at 115, Joanna Champions division, uh, but outside the, the promotion. A lot of people are talking about her. A lot of people think that she has the potential to be the next big women's MMA star. Benson Henderson famously said he thinks she could be bigger than Ronda. Now, besides, besides the point that, that people have been saying that she could be this, this big star, my question is, are we ever even really going to see another Ronda Rousey? Is there even such a thing as to say she's the next Ronda Rousey? You know, because there can only be one Ronda Rousey. Maybe Mackenzie Dern becomes the next Mackenzie Dern, or maybe she's not the same caliber of star. But should we be putting her up against the legacy of someone like Rousey who took the sport by storm and was perhaps its biggest star? Is that too much pressure to put on her after only three MMA fights? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is. I would think. I think really what we're looking at here is is a female who comes from a grappling background, and that's really where the comparison ends. Um, you could even argue, in some cases, she's being followed probably more closely than Rousey was at this point in her career. Right? Mm -hmm. You're talking first and second pro fights, and it's a huge deal. Everybody's talking about. So, I think the media hype is probably there earlier for her um and that's you know we saw what happened to ronda with that media hype and the unrealistic expectations it makes me wonder if you're you know it's even earlier for her and it's probably even uh in a sense of you know she's won every she won gold in every grappling competition in existence essentially she's 23 years old um, i think people want her to be the next coming and i think in the sense that you know if they ever look at this 125 division, something like that, could she be the pioneer of a, a whole new division in a sport? That kind of angle in terms of comparison to Ronda, maybe. But at this point, she's competing at 115. She's, you know, everybody's asking her about 125, do some making weight issues and that type of stuff. But um, it seems like it's a little bit too early to jump off. I, and I find it pretty interesting. She doesn't seem to want to be compared to Ronda. So um, that's that's always kind of interesting, too, when, when she seems to be fairly vocal um, that she's nothing like her and doesn't necessarily want to be compared to her. So what do you make of all that? Well, I think that, that for her own public image, it's it's smart, especially considering where Rhonda's, you know, Q rating, as we would call it, is at the moment. Why would you want to hitch yourself to someone like Rhonda who has seemingly fallen completely out of favor with the public? So I, I think that it's smart for her, but... My biggest issue with her is that it, it seems like she's falling into the same problem that Rhonda has had, which is management. The people who are controlling her image, the people who are giving her advice appear to not be doing, or not appear to not be giving her good advice. Uh, there was the weight cut snafu. She's missed weight twice, and now in this most recent fight, there was... Some very strange back and forth. Ariel Hawani was reporting that 
he had seen the bout agreement that she had agreed to fight at 120 at catchweight because she wasn't going to make the 115 limit. But then her management told Ariel Hawani that no, that was never the case. She made the weight limit. It was always contracted for 120. So th- that that always worries me because at the end of the day, you know, as as a as an individual in an individual sport, as an individual in any business, if you're in the movies or in anything like that, you're almost only as strong as the people around you giving you advice. And it doesn't appear that she has people who are doing a good job at, at, at giving her advice. So that to me is the most worrying thing that, that the spotlight is already on her this intensely and her people aren't reacting well. Yeah, it's never a good thing, and it and it seems kind of odd because they are definitely, um, you know, trying to hide the fact that this weight issue even happened, and you wonder who all's involved in that. And she's kind of operating in the same um, same system as Cyborg was for a little while there, where she's, you know, not in the UFC, but is definitely being groomed to be into the UFC. And you wonder how much they're, you know, having mint and that type of stuff in her development. You don't know where that's in. She is down at the MMA lab. Um, so she's getting good striking coaching. She, you know, from anything I've seen that basically spent three rounds on her feet in this last fight, um, didn't take it to the ground much was much improved in the striking game. So I think she's showing the right signs, but obviously, uh, the weight stuff is a big deal. And then it sounds like there's some dedication issues on her end. She's bouncing back and forth from, BJJ and and MMA and that's a big challenge because when she's in the jiu-jitsu world she's competing at 130 so you're yeah. um, you know a heck of a jump to get down to 115 all the time so it sounds like she's you know she's competing in these championships then getting down for a fight then getting back up in weight and then getting down so um, I think it really will be key for her to kind of focus on MMA now and see what that actually does for a couple more fights and um, we'll see if that's going to be in the UFC or not it's sounding like it might her next one might be now that she's got that third win but we'll see well, Dana White did say that they have their eye on her, and he thinks she's a little badass. And you know when Dana starts calling you a badass and you're a lady, he seems to think the world of you, because he did that with Rhonda when he started saying she was a female Diaz brother and all that bullshit. Anyways. Hey, all you got, all you got to do is go Google a photo of her fighting Gabby Garcia to know she's a badass. Check yeah, out that photo. No. I will 100% <laughs> agree that she's a badass, as I 100% agreed with... Um, Dana White when he said that Rousey was a badass. I, I do agree. I'm just saying that, you know, these days or lately, when Dana White starts talking about you favorably, you gotta wonder if he's what he's doing. He seems to be Ronda Rousey's personal spokesperson at this point. In the same interview that he talked about Dern, he basically said, Oh, Rhonda is having a she's having a great time on Blind Spot the show. Maybe she's gonna come back. She thinks it's awesome. She's having such a great time. It's like, what the He's like her personal spokesperson. It's crazy, but whatever. Let's not talk about Dana White for one episode, even though we just did. (laughs) And for everybody out there, go check out that image. Gabby Garcia. Yes. Check it out. Mackenzie Dern. Gabby Garcia is 245 pounds. It literally looks like a WWF picture, like she's about to powerbomb her. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of uh, ladies MMA, we head into the Q rating to focus on one of the top females in the sport, perhaps the top female in the sport at this point in terms of um, accomplishment, Joanna and Jacek, Joanna Champion. God, I can't get enough of Joanna Champion. Always love it when she's in the headlines. But this week we're going to debate her Q rating. She recently came out 
and spoke about Rose Namajunas, who apparently made a call out uh, of her. One one that I can't seem to find, but Joanny and Jacek seems to say say that uh, Rose called her out. So, what's the deal, Mitch? This is what this is what Joanna said. She says, "I think there is something wrong with her head. She got her chance to fight the Polish chick, but she lost to her. And now she says, "Oh, I want to fight Joanna. I want to beat her. I know how to beat her. Come on." Get your chance, beat the best, and become a challenger. It's so crazy. The thing is, like, I met her in Denver. We shake hands, we spoke to each other, and two days later, I heard that she was like, oh, I want to beat Joanna. Shut up. Interesting. <laughs> that's that's, that's the, the cliff notes. She went on. She went on and on. But what do you think about this, Mitch? Q rating up or down? Are we liking Joanna more or less? Um, I'm personally liking her more. I love that every time she talks, I love the confidence. You're talking about the number one pound for pound female fighter on the planet. Uh, she's Polish. Her English is improving big time. So that always helps. She's got herself in an American gym. Now she's at American top team training. Um, and I think you're just going to see more and more of this. She has never shied away from the confidence game and the trash talking, the weigh-ins and the stare downs of hers. You are maybe more entertaining than the fights. Um, so she generally is kind of the king of this game in the, on the female side of things. Anyways, if you want to say Connor is on the guy's side, this is your female equivalent. Um, and we, it's something we haven't really seen. And in that side of things, she's, um, you know, really likes the microphone and really likes to kind of push the envelope. Even when you're referencing in her quote there, she, she mentions the Polish chick and she won't even say her name. She won't say her name because she doesn't deserve to get, to get any more hype off of her back. And she is not shy about uh, her opinions and I love it. How about you? What do you think? You're, you're a fan as well, I think, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Uh, Q rating up for me too. Most definitely. I, I like Joanna Yinjaychuk because it seems that when she, when she speaks, she speaks almost like in this, the most rational, uh, reasonably trash talky way. It's like everything she says is cuts right to the bone and it hurts, but it's all like facts. It's all just on point, you know? Uh, and she, she blends in, like you said, referring to Karolina Kovalkiewicz as the Polish chick, right? Like not even saying her name is just a brilliant touch. But at the same time, she's saying, you know, Rose Namajunas got her chance to fight Karolina and she lost. So factually, now she's, now she's calling for a shot. It's the exact same thing. We were just saying about Jacare. You know, Jacare lost to Romero. To some people, now how in the world can he turn around and say that he deserves a title shot and not Yoel? So Joanna, just, she's great. She's perfect. She's exactly what, what women's MMA needs. That Ronda Rousey stuff was just, you know, it got to a point where it was hard to take Rousey seriously. She just put on a mean face, and she really did seem like that that tough guy girl in high school who you're like okay we get it you're you're tough you don't need to prove anything anymore whereas Joanne Jacek she she's it's not like she's talking to prove anything she's just she just knows what's up and she's just speaking facts and then she goes out there and she pummels people Q rating up definitely absolutely I will say it's going to be interesting things are getting a little tighter for her nowadays like she's had three straight decisions. Um, she was not knocking everybody out like she was when she first got the division. So I want to see what, uh, you know, she's, like I say, she talks a big game, so she's going to have to keep backing it up and, and the girls are definitely closing the gap in that division. So it's, it's only going to be tougher and tougher fights, but, 
Yeah, why wouldn't you want your your champion to have that kind of confidence, right? Yeah, you know what? All right, if we're both adding one dose of skepticism to this, I will say she did say that she wants Karate Hottie after she beats Andrade, which is always a bit of a worrying thing when it's like, oh yeah, I'm looking past this person, but I'm not looking past this person. Always a bit worrying when you mention other names after, like, oh, when I do this, then I will fight that. You know, it's like, all right, keep that one to yourself, maybe. But at the same time, you got to have that, you know, prospecting mind, I guess. It's the same thing Conor McGregor has uh, utilized to make himself famous. Talk shit about everybody so that once you do what you got to do, you got, you know, four or five potential matchups lined up. So... Anyways, Q rating up, all that said. Q rating up. Loving it. Now, we want to talk about Jimmy Manoa one more time to finish this show off. This is a bit of a broader topic. But when Jimmy Manoa won this weekend, he called out MMA fighter Daniel Cormier. He called out MMA fighter Anthony Johnson. He threw under the bus MMA fighter John Bones Jones. And then he called out Boxer David Hay. We live in this in this landscape now where this is this seems to be the new normal. We thought the new normal was okay, you know, big money fights. Whatever sells is the fights that that will be made. Now with Conor McGregor playing around with the idea of fighting Floyd Mayweather, and you got the the Nate Diaz's of the world back in January said, I've applied for a license to fight to box in Nevada. And now Jimmy Manuel calling out David Hay. Are we looking at a new normal where these MMA guys maybe f- jump into boxing more readily? What do we think about that? Uh, I think you're going to see it. I think the term combat sports is going to start getting used a lot more in uh, these discussions. I think the lines are going to blur from time to time or they definitely some of these guys are eyeing it and thinking, why not? Um, anytime you've got that kind of pay discrepancy and you're in the world of uh, these headline fights and these fights that don't make a ton of sense and interim championships and belts being thrown around like they're candy, I, I think it's whatever's going to make money. And nowadays that could be, everybody wants to see this. It's that ultra, ultimate barbershop conversation. What happens if a boxer fights an MMA guy? I mean, that's how we kind of all got into liking MMA in the beginning is style matchups and that type of thing. And it's always been something where you've never seen it cross over. So, and now you're hearing like even, you know, boxers talking about going to MMA and stuff like that with Amir Khan and guys like that throwing it out. So it just seems like these guys get a camera in front of them and you know, it makes the most you need to make headlines and they all know it. So, um, I, I think now it's something guys are preparing for and planning for. They've got these post fight speeches ready and they're thinking of, you know, how can I still be getting talked about the next morning? Cause there's already going to be a, a new fight the next week and someone, you know, it's another impressive knockout to catch people's eyes. So I think it's just going to be more and more of, you know, what this is kind of sport was built on, to be honest. There used to be kind of those, you know, the freak show type stuff that was set up back in the day. And I think we're getting Bellator's doing more of it nowadays than the UFC is. But I think anytime there's money to be made, these fight promoters are going to look at it anyways, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, as, as a, I want to, I would say a purist when it comes to sports, maybe, you know, certain things really grind my gears and irk me. And the idea of eschewing competition in favor of some kind of freak show thing that has nothing to do with 
your sport or has nothing to do with fighting the best of the best. To, you know, obviously fighting David Hay wouldn't exactly be uh, a poor challenge. It would be a huge challenge. I would expect that you know, in a fantasy world, if you fought David Hay, you'd probably get cleaned. But it always it bugs me when when fighters are now resorting to this. And I think that this the the reason it bugs me is that I don't think it's their fault. Fighters are like you said, they're reacting to the landscape that is in front of them. They're trying to traverse this crazy way of things now. They're following the path that seemingly has been laid out by fighters like Conor McGregor. And that's all a pathway paved by the promoters, the promotion and the UFC who seemingly, you know, these guys aren't making the kind of living that they feel they should. And so how can I make the most money? Well, guys still get paid really well in boxing. I've got a name in MMA, crossover fight and boxing. I can make a lot of money doing that. So it just, it seems to make more sense to these fighters now to expand their horizons and go out there and try and get big paydays. And if the big paydays in boxing, that's where they're going to go. And it's just unfortunate that it can't be that way just within MMA, that the guys can't get paid just by seeking, uh, seeking out the, the big fights with number one contenders and fighting for titles. They're not getting paid that way. It's just unfortunate to me that guys, that now they feel that they have to resort to that calling out David Hay when it's a, it's a little bit kind of crazy. But at the same time, you got to say it or else you might not get paid. Yeah, you might not get paid and you might not get the headlines. I really think it's about that, you know, it's just everybody seems to just be kind of throwing everything out and seeing what sticks and, yeah. and it's working. Guys are Guys are picking fights that they shouldn't be in and getting – you know, getting big money paydays that they, you know, otherwise wouldn't have gotten. I just think it's, you know, why not do it at this point? And especially if you fancy yourself a striker coming off of a knockout, you're in London, you're talking about a British boxer. I mean, I, I'm sure it was in the papers the next day there. It seems like something that, you know, was maybe a little shout out to the home crowd type of thing as much as it was anything. But at the same time, you know, if that picks up some trend on social media and all of a sudden it starts being talked seriously, how does he lose? especially when you're in a division with, you know, you don't know what's going on in that division right now. We talked about that. He doesn't necessarily want to, you got John Jones lingering out there. Like the next few months in that division are anyone's guests. So why not throw your hat in there, throw your hat in the ring for a boxing match in the, in the interim. And especially if you're an MMA guy, I got to think you look at that as a, as an easy night at work uh, in the sense of risk for your health and things of that nature, uh, potentially compared to an MMA fight. So I think it's intriguing, and I think a lot of these guys come from boxing backgrounds originally to begin with, and a lot, and a lot of times that's where their passion was and that kind of stuff. So why not go back to that when, when you have the opportunity? When do you think we're going to get our first legitimate boxing MMA call-out of Donald Trump? Is it going to happen? Boxing MMA call-out of Donald Trump. It should, shouldn't it? It would be funny. I could see the Black Beast or someone doing it, possibly. Oh, <laughs> Mitch, that's you know what? That you took the words right out of my, right out of my mouth. I was just about to say Derek Lewis would probably do it. Well, I mean, he's he's on record as saying he voted for him. He's to, he's he's talked quite openly about how disappointed he is about having voted for him now. So, <laughs> I mean, it seems to me like uh, if someone was going to mention something about it, you could probably get him to. So, um, it sounds like he's got another fight coming up here down the road. So maybe we'll just see that. Could be good. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mark Hunt. That would be a good scrap. I lo- I would look forward to that. But well, absolutely. I think that's I think that's it. I think that's a wrap, Mitch. We made it through another week. We did it. Whew. Excellent. We'll see. We'll see. We'll keep on pushing. But uh, we want to thank everybody who tuned in and gave us a listen. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Hurt Take. I am Reese. That is Mitch. 